Um, so, yes, last week I started, it's just going to be two parts. Um, really, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah, just to give you a quick recap of the book, is essentially where Nehemiah, uh, one of the Jewish exiles in the Persian Empire, he hears that the city is all broken down. He's so grieved by it that he prays for an opportunity to do something about it. And he's actually cupbearer to the king, so he's in a really privileged position in society, uh, but he just can't get over the brokenness of his city. And so he, God opens up a moment where he's able to speak to the king. The king agrees, uh, completely crazy. The king agrees to send him back uh, to Jerusalem, not only on his own, but with an armed guard and with all the resources required to rebuild the city. And um, Nehemiah goes back to the city. He scouts out the territory. He starts speaking to the Israelites who are left there. And he starts saying to them, this is what God has done for me. Let me tell you of the favor I had with the king. Let me tell you the breakthrough that has happened in order to propel us forward with the vision that I have to rebuild the city. And so we talked all of last week about how he mobilizes, he himself is mobilized and then mobilizes others for rebuilding. And really the call for us as Christians isn't to come to church and warm a seat and then go home and just be normal human beings, but actually the call of being the people of God is to redeem everything is to restore everything is to jump on the adventure train of Jesus that is about making all things new and in our Monday right through to Saturday not just on Sunday looking for the spaces and places where God is calling us to make things new to restore things that are broken and I launched us off from the verses in Isaiah that talk about how we as the people of God would be people who restore brokenness who repair ancient cities long devastated, that that would be the mandate on our lives to repair brokenness. And so when God called us to Boston, however he got you here, I just want you to know that he called you here. You might not realize that, but the fact that you're here tells me that God has orchestrated a few things for your life, whether you knew it or not. And the fact that we're here in this city means you and I have been called by God to do something in this city, not just to kind of say, wear a little quiet, I'm a Christian badge, and then get on with normal life, but rather to look for how the kingdom of God wants to bring solutions to this city, to any kind of need in this city, because we're made for more than feeling goosebumps on a Sunday. And so when we invite the fire of God like we did before, it's not just so that in this building we can have a good time and to hell literally with the rest of the world, but rather come and set me alight because the rest of the world needs solutions, needs help, needs hope, needs joy, needs peace. And I am now a carrier of all of those things and I will explode unless I open the doors of my heart and allow it to overflow from me. That's what it means to be the people of God. And so we're going to look at, from the book of Nehemiah, I'm not going to read specific verses, I'm just telling you the story. Read the book, it's short. You can read it probably in about 45 minutes, the whole thing. 
But in the rest of the book, we see how the people get together and they start rebuilding. Their whole aim is to rebuild the, the perimeter of the city, the city wall that basically communicated what kind of city this is. It was significant. The wall of the city said something about the identity of that city. And so what they did was they started rebuilding every aspect of the wall, every aspect of the gates. And at the end of the book, we see that the whole thing is rebuilt. They rediscover the law of God. They read it together as a people. That leads to some really interesting things, and we're going to highlight that because it's amazing to me what God spoke through Julian earlier this morning. It's like he read my notes of what I was going to speak on, the fruit of what Nim, you did not know. Uh, I barely read my notes, uh, but the fruit of Nehemiah's ministry has this moment where the whole city comes into something in God, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the end of the book, and like I highlighted last week, the end of the book leaves you hungry for more, because it ends with all of this has been done, and yet Nehemiah is still running around trying to get people to act the way is appropriate for the people of God. And literally, the book is trying to hint to us, you need more than surface change, because ultimately, we're looking to King Jesus to rebuild our hearts in order for us to be the people of God in every aspect of our lives. He is the master builder. So everything we talk about today really is us following in the footsteps of the master builder, Jesus himself. A few things I want to point out. I'm aware of time. I won't keep you for three hours, I promise. I'm going to shorten my notes. First thing I want to point out, think everyone, not anyone. See, when we see what Nehemiah invites the people to, you then see name after name after name. The people rise up, they own a portion of the wall, and they link. Everyone has their own bit to rebuild. And this is important for us to get it as the people of God, because sometimes we're looking for anyone to do something. When someone casts vision, we're looking out, oh, it can't mean me, it means anyone. But when we use that word, what we often mean is someone else, not me. But the call of God to his people is not just anyone, it's actually everyone. Every single one of us as the people of God have a portion of the wall that is our portion of the wall. And if we don't step up and rebuild what he's calling us to, then there is a gap in what he has called us to as a community. If you come on Sundays and hope that Julian and I have the answers and we're going to get on during the week and do those things, that's not how the people of God work. That's not how church community works. We are all one body and every single cell of the body is essential to function in order for the whole body to function. One of the most obvious things about this book is everyone came forward. Not just waiting for, oh, I I wonder, uh, Anthony's really good at that. I'll send him. Anthony will be great. Not me. Oh, they need a volunteer, but... That kind of inconveniences me. Anyone will do it. Not everyone, anyone. No, no, no. We want to be a people who understand that all of us together, our contribution, whatever it looks like, all of us are essential in order to rebuild the wall. This is why I'm passionate about volunteering. 
This is why I'm passionate about people in business being deployed in businesses rather than being forced to have a different section of the wall. Sometimes we're like, I don't like my section. I'm going to pick your section. Or sometimes we say that section looks more spiritual and I'm going to go over there and do that. But when we do that, we actually dishonor the section of the wall that's right in front of us that we've been called to. That's why we honor creatives in this house. We honor business people in this house. We honor every kind of walk of life in this house because every part of the wall needs to be rebuilt, which means we want to see Christians in every part of society because everywhere where there's a need, the people of God need to be there with their solutions. Every part of the wall is for everyone, not just anyone. The second thing I want to point out is I want us to learn the rules of the game of spiritual chicken. Now, if you've ever heard me preach before, you'll know that I often talk about how the enemy plays spiritual chicken with us. Uh, This probably isn't a new concept to many of you because I talk about it all the time. I think it is one of the most fundamental things that the people of God need to learn. Essentially, the way spiritual chicken works is when God speaks to us about our identity, when God speaks to us about our destiny, the enemy loves to come at us head on against the very thing that God has spoken to us about because he's betting that we will move off course and that's his entire intention. He doesn't care where you go. He doesn't care what else you do. The number one intention is just move off the path that God has put ahead of you. You see it in the book of Luke when Jesus has this incredible moment where God the Father, the heavens open at Jesus' baptism. Here is my beloved son. The voice of the Father God is heard over Jesus. And then we're told the very next thing that happens to Jesus is that he's led into the wilderness and straight away the enemy comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? He's playing a game of spiritual chicken. He's saying, oh, you're standing on the path of I'm the beloved son of God. I'm going to come at you head on right against the very course that you're walking in. He's playing spiritual chicken with Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus wins that game? And every single one of us have been equipped with everything that we need to win each game of spiritual chicken, but we just need to grow a little bit wiser. I'm tired of hearing Christians talk about, I thought that was God who told me to do this thing, and then it became really difficult, and I realized it can't have been God. No, 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 no. When it gets really difficult, you understand that you may well be bang in the middle of a game of spiritual chicken, and you've got to understand the rules by which the enemy plays so that you can stand your ground. Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual warfare, not us running around like weird people trying to find high places somewhere. God knows what we mean by that. No, no. Spiritual warfare is stand your ground. That's what it says. Ephesians 6, stand, stand, stand in the chapter in the Bible on warfare. Learn to stand. You would think as Christians that's a pretty basic thing, but we need to learn it again and again because the enemy is really hardcore with his opposition. And we see it 
in this book so clearly because Nehemiah, once he's heard what God has stirred up in him, he's mobilized the people, they're starting to rebuild and straight away we see the opposition tactics that come from the enemy. What's really important for us to understand is the opposition is more bark than bite. And I want us to understand this in our lives. The enemy will fight you because he wants to get your perception skewed. He is much more bark than he is bite. He's going to tell you all sorts of things. He's going to threaten you with all sorts of things. He doesn't have the goods to back up what he says. But if he can get you to believe him, then that changes the game. But if we are wise to what the enemy is doing, then we can stand our ground understanding you are all bark, but you have no bite. Because God is the one who told me to do what I'm doing, and that means I will be victorious in what I'm doing. I want to ask Anthony to come up. Anthony's got an amazing testimony about this, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about the opposition tactics of the enemy. But Anthony and I met last week. Anthony hadn't seen my notes. But Anthony and I met last week and I'd already prepared this sermon and Anthony was telling me some of what God has been doing in his life and I just thought, again, God is speaking to us and we need to hear what God is doing across our community. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, what she was just preaching was like exactly what the Lord was showing me. Um, so for like the last three months, my life has been like, everything's been going like chaos. Uh, just super difficult season. Uh, probably like the most difficult season I've ever been in. <laughs> Ash knows all about it. I've been sharing with everybody. But, um, <laughs> like, Lord, good. please help me. Uh, <laughs> I'll take all the prayers I can get. And so I was out on a prayer walk the other night, and um, I was just walking around this field, and all of a sudden I just had this vision. It wasn't an open vision, but just on the inside of my heart. And it was me standing in, like, a rainstorm. And the ground was all muddy. And I was standing there like this. And there was an opponent who was like, I had his arms locked with me. And I was just steady. And he was steadily pushing me back. And my feet were in the mud. So they just kept sliding back, just inch by inch, foot by foot. And then all of a sudden, I had this realization wait a second, I'm in a fight right now. There's an enemy, there's an opponent right now that is pushing me back and gaining ground in my territory. And as soon as I had that realization, there were like these metal spikes that came down from my feet and immediately I became steady and stationary and it stopped the adversary. And then once I realized that, it was this revelation that, hey, I'm in a fight right now in this season. You know, and all of the attacks of the enemy over the few months, like one after another, got me into this victim mentality. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, it was just day by day, week by week, but all of a sudden, I felt like a victim. And he, just like Katya was saying, the enemy has no power over us. But once you agree that you're a victim, yeah. now the power is your belief. So yes. once you believe something, that is what gives yes. it power. All he can do is just talk, talk, talk and come at you. But it's your belief that has the authority come in on. the fight. 
And Come so, on. yeah, and so I just want to <laughs> say, know the season you're in. Come on. That's what the Lord was telling me. Like, dress appropriately for the season. If it's wintertime outside and you go with shorts and sandals and you keep complaining how cold it is, well, guess what? You didn't dress appropriately. <laughs> and there's some seasons where, like, what's going on? All this is happening. All this is coming against me. Well, recognize the time that you're in. You're in a fight and dress appropriately and hold your ground and come at the enemy because you got to remember who you are. We're, we're the people of God. We're not to be put down and become a victim. We are, we are the children of the Most High. <laughs> yes. There, there's no power that can come against us that we don't have authority in. Come on. And, and actually also what the Lord showed me through that is when you are in a fight, you should have joy. The reason you should have joy is because there's something in you that the Lord is bringing up and trying to develop in you. And he needs to bring the battle so that something in you can rise up that you never knew you had before. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, we're getting into we're getting into the rest of my sermon, so I'm yes. gonna stop in here. Okay, yeah, yes, thank you. But um, we're gonna do some impartation in a second around this. I want us to notice again: two people before the meeting had words about God wanting to bring courage. That was the sense of the meeting. They had no idea what I was preaching on. Last week, I speak to Anthony. I had to send him a copy of my notes after our conversation because it was just too funny. The words he was speaking was literally the things that I'd written down. God is telling us something, and he's telling us something for a reason. And sometimes we sit and we go, oh, these are nice words. I want you to remember this moment because right now, God is wanting to deposit courage in us as a community. The only reason we would need courage is because we're going to get into a game of spiritual chicken. You need to understand what's happening around you so that in the mo that moment you can stand your ground and the spikes in our shoes can settle us firmly into the promises of God. See, the way we, we see opposition for Nehemiah is very interesting. In the chapter 4, you see initially the opposition comes through belittling of the project. And the enemy uses this a lot. The people come and say, the guys who are opposed to the rebuilding come and they say, what are you doing with these burnt out stones? You're rebuilding with rubble. That rubble's going to achieve nothing. All they're doing is belittling the significance of what's happening. When you're on the path that God has set you on, the enemy will come with constant doubt about whether what you're doing has any significance whatsoever. Yeah. This isn't something airy-fairy that happens out there. It's something that happens in your mind. Do you know how many times a day I think, are we even making the tiniest bit of difference? Do you know how many conversations Julian and I have about we moved cross-continents is it even making any difference? Do you know why we have those conversations? Not because we have little faith, but because that is the reality of the game of spiritual chicken, where the enemy will constantly make you feel like what you're doing is achieving nothing very much at all. He's a liar, don't listen to him. See, in those moments, like Anthony was saying, we don't want to just become a victim. Oh, yes, you're right. All I'm doing is building with rubble. I'll just go back here and cry about the waste of my time over the last... No, in that moment, we've got to wake up. As the people of God, we need to be awake. In that moment, we've got to wake up and go, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? And then we need to start prophesying instead what God has said. 
I will not partner with these thoughts that what we're achieving is nothing at all. God promised us something significant. He brought us for something. And whatever is happening, whether I see it or not, I refuse to partner with a lie that it's insignificant. We've got to see those moments. So when you're feeling like you're in the middle of opposition, we've got to start asking some questions. We've got to get instinctively good at doing this. This is why I'm teaching you this. Because this isn't theory. It's going to be really invaluable practical advice in the moment where your brain is going crazy and you're wondering whether you're what you're doing is worth anything at all you've got to ask your question yourself the question why are these thoughts in my head where are they coming from and what is their purpose why are these thoughts in my head where are they coming from? What is their purpose? Your why, your where, your what. If you answer those three, you will find your courage to keep going forward. Because where are they coming from? Well, I can tell you right now that God doesn't belittle you. So even if you were on the wrong path in faith, God wouldn't go, what you're doing is rubbish. That's not what his voice sounds like. So we've got to understand when we ask the where is this coming from, well, what does the voice sound like? Because if it's mean and it's belittling, it isn't God. And your voices in your head are coming only from three places. One, in your own heart and mind, your own thoughts come. Two, God. Three, the devil. So it's pretty clear your options are limited. So where is this coming from and what is its purpose? And you will find again and again in the game of spiritual chicken, the purpose ends up being one and the same. It's fear so that you will veer off course. Fear that you're doing the wrong thing. Fear that you, you'll amount to nothing. Fear whatever it is. Fear that you miss the plan of God. We've got to get good at asking the why, the where, and the what and then standing our ground. And I love Anthony's testimony. He said it laughingly, but it's a crucial part of the testimony of standing your ground. Speak to community. Yeah. It's important to let others into that journey so that when you can't figure out the why, the where, and the what, someone next to you will. The person next to you on the wall can shout at you and say, no, no, don't worry. It's just the game of spiritual chicken. Stand your ground. That's what we need as the community of God. That's why you cannot be a Christian very successfully behind your computer screen only joining online events for very long. Because the body needs the rest of the body for grace to flow. You might be able to do it in a theoretical world, but in a practical fight, you're going to need community to speak courage to you. The next way he does it is by physical threat. Later on in chapter 4, the opposition comes and literally they're saying we're going to surprise them and kill them. What's really weird about that story is as soon as Nehemiah hears of it, it comes to nothing. Like there's no comment on what happened because it's bark, not bite. So it's like we're going to kill them, we're going to kill them. Nehemiah knows about it. Silence. So this doesn't even make sense, except it does. If you understand, the battle is being fought around belief, not about actual ability to act. That's where the battle is coming. The next way they come in chapter 6 in opposition, I'm flying through these for you, but it comes in distraction and the enemy attempting to set the agenda. They're constantly calling Nehemiah to an irrelevant meeting in chapter 6. Constantly. It's like again and again. And eventually he's like, hey, yo, I'm doing something important. Leave me alone. I'm busy. 
Sometimes we're going to have to discern in our season when we're constantly being distracted by lots of things that aren't what God spoke to us initially. You're going to have to stop. You're going to say, why is this happening? Where is it coming from? What is its purpose? I want to tell you that God leads us through favor often, but sometimes favor isn't God. Sometimes favor will be the distraction. It will be a calling you to an open door somewhere else as long as it's not the path that God led you to. You've got to be able to ask the why, the where, and the what for everything. We need to wake up as the people of God. Then in chapter 6, verse 9, you see one of the enemy's favorites, false accusations. They're like, okay, you know what? You just keep ignoring us. It's getting really annoying. So we're going to go tell the king on you. And we're going to go tell the king that you actually are doing all sorts of things to overthrow him. It's a complete made-up lie, but it's a really powerful one for someone who wants to serve the king. It's a really powerful one for someone who doesn't want to get into trouble. And you know what? The enemy is going to do that to each of us when we're standing on the promises of God. False accusations will come. Accusations against you. Accusations that threaten to destroy your reputation. Ignore them. His bark is worse than his bite. He's trying to get you to cave by telling you something, threatening you with something. Do you you know how many times my reputation has been threatened over the years in ministry? Do you know how many? And each time you've got to ask yourself the question, is this God? Is this God wanting to destroy my reputation? Is this God wanting to humiliate me? You've got to ask yourself honestly. But if the answer is, no, I don't think this is God, then what are you going to do about it? Because the only reason that accusation would be coming against you either is because you really are terrible and you need to do some repentance. But if that's not the case, and you'll know if it's the case or not, or if you're not sure, ask some trusted people to speak to you about it. But if you're clear that's not the case, the only reason that threatening accusation is coming against you is to sap you of courage from your destiny. You've got to stand your ground in those moments. And then the last one is false prophecies. They failed in everything else. So in chapter 6, 10 to 14, some false prophecies are thrown their way. The opposition group start hiring some people to come and tell them different things. God said this, God said that, and it's all a load of nonsense. Do you know how they tell that it's false? The prophecies are leading them to sin and are leading them into fear. When you want to weigh up prophecies, if the main thread of that prophetic is fear, run. Because God doesn't motivate us through fear. If the main thread, even in legitimate warning prophecies, when you look at scripture, the warning gives you a solution. The warning isn't, it's doom and gloom, sorry for you, I'm out of here. The warning always comes with, this is what is required in order to see this thing through. So when you hear prophetic words, weigh them up. What is the main thrust of this word? Because if it's fear, and if it's actually leading you into disobeying the instructions of God, that's not God. That's not the way he speaks. So he's playing spiritual chicken. I've I've wanted to dissect these things Because this gets really practical Monday through to Saturday. It's easy to nod and say amen here. But the enemy is good at the game of spiritual chicken. We need to get better. 
We're called to wisdom as the people of God. We are called to understand his tactics and then to walk right around them. And it's all about the warfare in your brain. That's the important context. Okay, and I'm going to fly through the next couple. Don't slouch. (laughs) What's your posture? When we see them building, we see that they're building with one hand, carrying their swords with the other. When we're building, when we're rebuilding brokenness, we need to understand that we're taking the stance of warfare and that we've got a sword in our hands. Do you know what the sword is in biblical pictures? It's the word of God and it's the spirit of God. Arm yourself with the truth in scripture. Arm yourself with the presence of the spirit of God, okay? I love the Bible. Pack yourself full of scripture so there is no room in your heart for the lies of the enemy. I used to live in London, and we're going to come into London in the next five minutes. I used to live in London, and in London, much like the tea here, although the tea seems much more civilized, although I haven't been on it in rush hour, so I'm not sure. But in London, I used to take the underground train, which is the equivalent of the tea here, all of the time. It was always packed, especially at peak times. And there were so many moments, you, you would, you know, as a Londoner, you just got really good at it. You would see the doors open, there is no room because it's a body of people, just a wall. And then you figure out how to squeeze yourself in. Now you can't breathe and your face is under someone's armpit if you're vertically challenged like me. And then you're like pulling your bag in and people are giving you angry looks and you're the last person, no one can breathe now. The next station, the doors open and you're looking at the people who are wanting to get on and you're like, I took the last bit of air in here. There's no way on earth. And unless someone leaves, no one else is getting on this train. With scripture, do that in your heart. Pack your heart so full of truth that when the doors open in different moments of the game of spiritual chicken, it's like there's no room left on this train. Sorry. I have hidden his word in my heart so full and so deep and so rich. That's what the psalmist says. I've hidden your word in my heart. Hide his word in your heart so that when the game of spiritual chicken is well on its way, you are so packed full with scripture. You are holding that sword in your arm. There is no way the lies can get in. There's simply not room. Don't slouch. Stand to build. Stand with your weapon. Your how is just as important as your what. You know, what's really interesting in the book of Nehemiah is really randomly in chapter 5, it's all about rebuilding. It's all about the opposition. Weirdly, in chapter 5, there's this whole conversation on how they're treating the poor. If you don't understand God, you'll think it's really odd. Because it's like, Why this conversation in the middle of the rest of the conversation? It's because your how is just as important as your what in the kingdom. 
They have this conversation right in the middle of rebuilding the city, which is the poor are not being taken care of. Some people are exacting interest on the poor. And Nehemiah stops everything and they have this discussion because he's like, the values that we live with are just as important as seeing this vision completed. I want to tell you that how we do community is just as important as getting the job done. In fact, our authority in getting the job done is going to be rooted in the values that we genuinely walk out as a community. It's why you cannot just simply have your eyes set on your vision and no matter how it gets done, I'm throwing everyone aside because I'm getting, you do that and you will lose the very authority you need to see that thing through. Your how is just as important as your what. Mm -hmm. And this is about us as a community. It's about your destiny as an individual. If you lose integrity in order to accelerate your calling come to pass, you will lose in that moment your authority needed for your calling to come to pass. We are not going to grow significant as a church by underplaying other churches. Because your how is as important as your what. We will never become significant as a church if we cannot bless what others are doing. Oh, no, I'm not going to tell you about that church. I actually know they have the ministry that you just asked for and we don't. I'm not going to tell you about them just in case you go there and say, we, I know people who do that. You do that, you lose your authority for the very thing you feel God has called you to. So there are going to be moments as a community where we talk about things that you're thinking, why are we talking about this? It's because our how is as important as our what. We have to understand that who we are, how we live, the values we hold dear as we rebuild together are just as important as seeing the city rebuilt. They've got to go hand in hand. And the last one, and this is where I want to land, and I feel like God is on this. Joy is more important than we realize. When Julian was prophesying, he started saying joy again and again and again. I don't know if you noticed it. And then he started weaving it with hope and peace, which is really interesting because right here in my notes is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. Notice it's in the as you're trusting him. Literally, as you're in the middle of the game of spiritual chicken, having to decide who you believe more, in that very moment of believing God over the lies that are coming against you, the author is writing, may the God of hope fill you in that moment with joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope. Joy, peace, and hope are all intertwined. In fact, joy and peace, as they're imparted to us, make us a people of hope. And the people who have the most hope have the most influence. Because you've got to be able to see what God is doing, believe it enough to go forward for it. So when God is saying to us that he's imparting joy in our community, he's saying it to us for a reason. Because joy is more important than we think. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you're playing spiritual chicken, make sure you're getting really happy with God. Because that joy is going to fortify you to stand your ground. It's what Anthony was talking about in the midst of the battle that the enemy has brought. God is not bringing warfare to you, but God knows how to use that warfare. Even in the midst of the battle that the enemy brings to our door, God is imparting to us joy to withstand that warfare. And then you see the fruit of all of this in 1243. They offered, this is when all of the things have been done, 
and there listening to the word of the Lord. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Do you know it's possible to rejoice without great joy? It's possible for a golf clap. Yes, Jesus, you're so great. We, we rejoice very religiously. It's such an actual religious word that we use often. And we use it, when we use it religiously, we're, we're using it as an excuse not to actually change anything about our demeanor because I'm spiritually rejoicing in the Lord. No, no, no. We want to be a community that rejoices with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. I love the way this is written. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Julian talked about God's intention to turn a silent revival into a loud one. The joy of Boston was heard far away. The intention of God with all of what he's calling us to do is that the joy that breaks out in this city, joy that is integral to hope, becomes so loud that cities far away are impacted here of what God is doing in this city. Because what God starts in this city, he's wanting to launch into many other places. The destiny over this city is pioneering by nature. So many things have started for this nation in this region. There's a reason for that. There's a pioneering destiny over Boston. And the joy that God pioneers in this city, the loud, outrageous joy that God pioneers in this city is going to be heard far away. I believe with all my heart that is his intention. Why don't you stand with me for a second? We didn't take offering today, so if you love giving, please give. At some point when we finish, we'll put the giving slide off. We didn't take communion together today, which we love to do every time. So as the meeting finishes, please come and help yourself to bread, to grape juice. We do this together, recognizing that Jesus is amongst us, but we're way out of time, so I want to land the meeting. But I want to say something to you. This has by far not been my most eloquent preach. It doesn't matter. God is saying something to us in this community. And right now, I want to invite you to close your eyes because there are responses to be made about this morning. Some of you need joy. (laughs) And God wants to just impart joy to you so that you can rejoice with great joy. And in the name of Jesus, I come against the weariness of the battle that has sapped joy from lives. And in the place where there's been hopelessness, where there's been weariness, where we're just at the point of giving up, I speak the joy of the Lord to arm you so that you would find strength for your battle. And some of you came and you're feeling small and you're feeling like a victim, but God wants to give you courage today for your destiny. And so where there is fear of man, where there is any kind of fear holding you back, where the lies of the enemy have all but overwhelmed your brain space so that you're about to give up in the fight, I want to say to you, courage, come in the name of Jesus, because his bark is worse than his bite. In fact, all he's doing is lying to you in order to steer you away from a victorious destiny. Stand your ground. So in the name of Jesus, We speak joy. We speak peace. 
we speak hope and we speak outrageous courage over each and every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.